said about ourselves, that he would break through that noise. You would get to this heart of ours that's so lonely and so afraid and so tired, and that you would speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can have a seat. I hear a child back there crying, so that'll probably be all of us here shortly. That was a joke, so... Uh, if this is your first Sunday, I cut up a little bit, but I don't tell you I'm cutting up real often. And so, if you're like, uh, is he mean that? I'm probably messing with you, so just so you know. So I got a little thing I want to announce. Um, John, Tammy, Paul, can I go ahead and tell them that we made, that we did a thing? Can I mention that? Can I tell them what we did? Yes, okay. Now, I'm, they said no, you can't find out, sorry. Too bad. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, I just wanted to let you know, you know, it's, it's in God's hands, but God has worked out some cool things really fast. Sometimes that's how it happens. So we did put in an offer on three acres of land for Ordinary Faith. Uh, so we are waiting to hear back. There were a whole lot of people involved in that, so we'll let you know more. Hopefully the vision... Uh, Sunday, we'll be able to let you know a whole lot of details about that, but it's pretty exciting. It's a big step for us. One of these days, we're going to grow up and be a real church, right? That was a joke. That was a joke. We're a real church already. Come on. Show up here. I need you to be here. And I know you're looking at the title of this message going, what are we supposed to do today? Are we supposed to be quiet? Do you know me? Do we even know each other? I mean, come on. Um, I tell you what, God is really opening my eyes up to some things, though, uh, as far as the state, what's happening in our world, what's happening in our hearts, and our condition before God, and why we're experiencing a lot of things that we're experiencing within our hearts, particularly that exhaustion, particularly that just one more thing attitude that we are dealing with. And I'm more and more seeing that we are all on edge in some way. And so last week, I talked about what it was to be a disciple and what it really meant to take up your cross and what it really meant to deny yourself. And I'm not going to re-preach that message. If you weren't here, you can catch it up somewhere. Today, though, I want to, t- I want to give you a very important piece of your growth, something that will help you propel your faith to higher levels that will actually help you hear from God. Now, if that's a a crazy idea for you, you're like, ah, God's never talked to me. Today, we're going to talk about how to hear, to listen to what he's saying to us, and and, and how to get there, and what it means to get there, and how important it is to, to get there. Because many of you are running on empty, and I know this. And I have also... Uh, you know, I've been below the, the E. How many of you guys know exactly how far your needle will go? Just out of curiosity. Some of you do. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm not that guy. My phone is always 100%. Always. <laughs> so it's just kind of the guy I am. But I, I just, as we look into this, I want to look at Jesus for a second. I want to show you what the Son of God did. The Son of God had habits. And one of the most significant and most important that he had was this, as he listed in, in Mark one thirty-five, 
Before daybreak, the, G- the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. God had one son that lived without sin, as a famous preacher once said, but he, didn't have, he has never had a son who lived without prayer. And so I want to talk about this rhythm of prayer. And here's what I don't want you to do. <laughs> I get really frustrated, which is another word for angry. <laughs> when your husband says, I'm frustrated, when your wife says, they're really saying, I'm ticked at you and want to choke you right now, but they won't say that last part. (laughs) I get frustrated when people take the invitations of God and turn them into rules and laws. And so that's not what I'm doing today. I'm not giving you rules and laws. That's not how grace works. Grace is a pursuit of something you greatly desire, not a bare minimum so you don't get punished. And I'm truly tired of this idea of punishment in the church. Jesus put the, God put the punishment on Jesus. And for his children, he has grace, he has discipline, which is for your victory, not for punishment. And so I want you to see that Jesus had a, a rhythm to his life. He picked it. He picked a rhythm that he lived within. And I want you to think about that because everything in the world is a rhythm. The sun rises and sets in rhythm. A day has a rhythm to it. A week begins in rest and walks through work and ends in rest. It has a rhythm to it. A month has a rhythm to it with cycles of the moon. A year has a rhythm of seasons. Even decades and even centuries have rhythms to them. God created the world, everything you know, with rhythms. And Jesus had a rhythm to his life, a, a beat that he lived to. Just like when we worshiped, we sang some of us in time with others. Some of us not so much, but that's okay. It's praise, not perfection. So Jesus picked a time for a rhythm of quiet. That, that, my friends, escapes the Western world that you know so well. So, I, am a, I had eight children. I know you hear that all the time, but here's why I'm telling you this. I desperately long for quiet. <laughs> desperately. When I get in the car, I get in the car with other people. They don't even have to turn their radio on. It's already on. The CD, the music's playing. When I worked with people, when I worked at McDonald's, uh, everyone, they, people could not count money to cash out their day without listening to music. And I, I love music, but I desperately long for quiet. And sometimes in my head, I have a smile on that's strained, and I'm screaming, shut up! And you're like, he shouldn't have said that in church. No, that's I'm just telling you what my brain says. I, it's not me. And so there's this thing that we need in our world, and it, this isn't optional. And I believe the conclusion I came to after years of working with lots of people and the noise, that because you can't go anywhere without noise. You can't even take an elevator rise without hearing the songs that were popular in your childhood. And it's really disappointing when you get to an age and you hear your favorite songs in an elevator. You're like, oh, crap, I've gotten old. What happened? You can't go anywhere without some kind of 
background noise. And so I'm, I'm showing you that Jesus had a rhythm where the noise stopped. Where he stopped it. He left it. And he walked in quietness. This is not, this is something we need. This isn't an option. This isn't something you're like, ah, well, you know, that's just him. He needs some quiet. No, you need some quiet because only in quiet can you hear what you need to hear. Only in peace can you find what you're looking for. Only in that quiet moment is the greatest discovery made. The Bible says in Psalm 42, which is a chapter that launches an entire book of Psalms. Okay, so this isn't just a verse. This is, it sets a tone for the next several chapters of Psalm. And the psalmist writes, as the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. I long for you, God. I thirst for you, God. I need you, God. I I must, I must, I must have God. I know you're like, he's lost his mind. But you've got a hole right through the middle of you that's infinite. There's no bottom to it. No amount of money, no amount of experience, no amount of sex, no amount of addiction, no amount of relationship, no amount of fame. And it does not matter what you pour in that hole. It will never even be a drop in the bucket. Only an infinite God can fill the hole right through the middle of you. And so I just need you to understand you have a desire And you may not even know what it is. You hunger for an infinite God. Oh, man. (laughs) And you may not have got the best representation of who he is in your life. You may be sitting here today and some of your worst experiences came from a church or came from someone who represented faith or spirituality. I want you to know that those things that happened to you were perpetrated by individuals and people who were not God. Because you have an enemy who wants to make sure you never get the cure for that disease, that hole inside of you. And I'm standing here and I want you to know that as a pastor and a very simple guy, I don't want anything from you. I want everything for you. I want you to have the infinite. I want you to have the true and deepest desire of your soul. And so know that I know that I'm not that. And we're Not that. You need a God who has no end. You need a God who loves you so completely and so thoroughly that it heals everything within you. That's what you need. And my prayer for you today is that you'll meet that God. And I'm coming at you telling him, telling you about him, but I have no manipulation. I'm not trying to get anything from you. If you meet God, I know your life will begin to change and grow. I know that. 
And so I want to bring us into this place of quietness because you were made to enjoy God. One little, so back when I first started in ministry, back in 1994, I think it was, I'll have to check the thing they gave me. Someone encouraged me to to pour in. And one of the books I stumbled across was a book by John Piper called Desiring God. And it is, it's the, the subtitle of the book is Confessions of a Christian Hedonist. So that really got my attention. And if you're like, well, I don't even know what that means. It's okay. I didn't either. That's why I got my attention. I had to go look the word up. And I'm not going to tell you, so you have to go look the word up. But anyway, it was, uh, in that book, he states this, and, and I can never forget it. It says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And every time I hear that phrase, I think of Mick Jagger. <laughs> that great theologian, Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction. And I know you're singing it in your head, and I'm not even sorry I made you do that. <laughs> but I'm not going to dance. Be thankful. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, one of the early catechisms, says what, what the, a catechism is a question-answer. If you grew up in a Catholic church, you're pretty familiar with this, or if you grew up in a Reformed church, you're pretty familiar with catechisms. It's a study of theology that's based on questions and answers, and the very first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is what is the chief end of man, and the answer is about the best you'll ever find. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. By enjoying Him. <laughs> Have you ever been to a church where enjoyment just never crossed your mind? You know, you're just sitting there going, I don't think these people enjoy much, you know. <laughs> but that, by the way, they would definitely claim this catechism. And so the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. I, I'm just saying you were made to enjoy God. Yes. You were made to enjoy, to get a kick out of to have fun with, to relish, desire God. What is wrong? What is wrong? Really, most people do not think of the concept of enjoyment and God in the same sentence, and yet that is the basis for every Orthodox Christian faith, enjoying God, enjoying Him. I mean, if you can't talk of your faith with a smile on, like... I can't wait to get back to it. That is not how most people do. I used to say that my church was uh, not this one. <laughs> Prefacing that. Looked like they were baptized in dill pickle juice. <laughs> Don't tell them I said that. Oh, you can't. Never mind. So, so let's jump into this. What does it mean to get to a place of quiet, to get to a place where I can connect with God, enjoy God, hear from God, be fueled by God. So let's start with the concept of good counsel. Then we'll talk about uh, strong roots, and then we'll talk about deep courage. So good counsel, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. This is a fantastic psalm. It's loaded with wisdom. It's a great place if you are wondering where to start in your faith. Psalm 1 is a great start. Psalm 1 Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of Steve. Oh, no, that's a, my translation. 
My, my translation. Just, I love you, man. I'm just, I needed a joke right there, and it was you. So, Who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight. They delight in the law of the Lord. I grew up a Baptist. We did not delight in the law of the Lord. We enforced it upon you, but we did not delight in it. Okay? Uh, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. So when we get into the concept of quiet, I'm going to ask a question I ask a lot. And that's this, what's your moral authority? When I ask this question, I realize you probably don't know what I'm talking about, unless you've heard me talk about this before. But what it simply means is this, what is your source for good information? What is your source for what's right and what's wrong? What's good and what's bad? What's your source? Because everyone has a source. Everyone. But for most people, that source is themselves. What that means is, I am the judge. I do what I want to do. I decide, is it good, is it bad, is it right, is it wrong? I am God of my own little world. Ouch. Michael, why do you say it like that? Because I'm going for the ouch just for a second. Because until we say ouch, we don't know we have an infection, and we can't get cured if we don't know we have it. And so we have these things that we believe. We have sources of information. Now, here's my source. This is the conclusion that I've come to. My source is Jesus. I'm not, I'm not trying to convert anyone to the church. Certainly not to me. I'm not even trying to convert people to the Bible, but I'll come back to that. I believe in a guy named Jesus. I believe in Jesus. What does that mean? There's a guy who walked this planet. He said stuff. He said crazy stuff. He said stuff that did not fit here. That does not seem like it should work. He said a lot of stuff. And he said to his disciples while he was teaching them the stuff, he said, by the way... I'm going to be arrested, condemned, crucified, but don't sweat it. In three days, I'm going to get over it. They were so, like, it was, that was so far out of their wheelhouse, they couldn't even hear it. I'm serious. Have you, has anyone ever told you something so far out of your expected responses that you didn't even acknowledge it? That's exactly what they did. And here's why I believe in Jesus. Because He said that, and then here's what happened. He was arrested, he was convicted, he was condemned, he was crucified. Pause. And all of his disciples lost their faith. Every one of them quit. One of them even cursed and denied him in front of everyone. And then, three days later, Jesus walks out of the grave I don't know if he went, ta-da, <laughs> or I told you so, I don't know. All I know is that all of his followers that on Saturday night had lost all of their faith, on Sunday, by Sunday afternoon, 
they had basically laid down the rest of their lives to let everyone know that Jesus was alive. You can applaud the resurrection. If you can't applaud that, I don't know what to say. So the guy who said, I'm going to be arrested, convicted, condemned, crucified, and I'm going to get over it, and he did it. I trust that guy. Do you understand? I trust that guy. So back to the Bible. I said, I'm not trying to convert you to the Bible. Why? Because if you get converted to Jesus, then you will look for good information about him. And the Bible is the best information. And so I just need you to know that I trust Jesus. He's my source of information. And I think that's a great place to start in your faith, to think about that. And also, if you are struggling in your faith, get to Jesus. Learn about Jesus. That's a great source, the best source of information. The next question I ask is, you know, what's your, what's your moral authority? Second, what's your delight? This is kind of hard to think about because I think, you know, I know a lot of people. I've known a lot of people for a long time. I've been in Rock Springs. This is my 20th year in the city. I've known a lot of you people for 20 years. And many of you I've known for 13 or more. And, and as I get to know people, <laughs> I watch us all as experience myself this journey through life. And I, I see the optimism of youth, the cynicism of disappointment, the despair of hope deferred, as Proverbs talked about, where that our hopes and dreams don't come into reality in the way that we thought they would. And I have watched people go from that optimism to a place of despair and loss and fear. I've seen it over and over again. And here's what I think is going on. Did I mention Mick Jagger earlier? We can't get no satisfaction. We try everything. We get the next book about how to accomplish your dreams, which says the same thing all the other 1,000 books says. Work harder, try harder, work harder, try harder. What they never say is hope you get lucky, because that should be part of it. And we do that. We work harder, we try harder, because that's just another form of legalism, by the way. It's just another law. And we keep missing. We keep not getting the satisfaction. Shoot, people even get to a place where they don't even know how to be happy anymore. I can't tell you the conversations. I've sat across the table uh, having a coffee, and that heart that came through was, I don't even know what makes me happy. In fact, I've given up on happy. Now I'm just trying not to be utterly miserable. If I could just be mildly miserable, that would be good. That's awful. What's the problem? You were made, you were made, literally made, to desire something, to delight in something, to enjoy something. And it's not you, and it's not money, and it's not stuff, and it's not anything other than this amazing, awesome, infinite God. If we can't desire and delight in God, we need to ask ourselves why. We must ask ourselves why. And so, what's your source? 
Where are your roots? Jesus said this in John 15, one of the most, man, one of the most profound, I don't know, it's kind of hard to say. I, I shouldn't say that. You, know, you ever hear teachers all the time, well, this is my favorite verse, and then the next Sunday they're on their favorite verse again, but it's a different verse. And, and, uh, and they say, well, this is the most profound, and then the next Sunday they're, the, that one's, whatever they're on that day, that's the most profound. And th- this one, though, John 15 is the abide in me text. It's about remaining in Jesus. And I, I'm, you could spend a whole life plumbing the depths of this particular discussion with his disciples. John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine. I'm the vine. He does not say, you are not the vine, but he does say that because he says, I'm the vine. I'm the vine. You're the branches. You're not the vine. You're not the root. You're not the source. You're awesome because God says you're awesome, but you're not awesome because you think you're awesome. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, without me, without Jesus, you can do nothing. Say it. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. Oh, now you're preaching to me, aren't you? I see what you're doing. I see what you did there. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. But anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch, thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered in a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and in my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. These things bring great glory to my Father. We're branches. So when I first started, I've alluded back to my beginning in ministry, and God has always brought mentors into my life. I didn't know that's what they were at the time, but they were men and women who were older than me, who had traveled the journeys of life before me, and they gave me, they were willing to risk sharing their wisdom with me. And I'll never forget, I think his name was Doug Clinton, I think it was Doug Clinton, who was a a strong mentor of mine early in my ministry. Doug was, he is a battle-hardened pastor of Southern Baptist churches, man. No no one was tougher and no one was kinder than Doug Clinton. He's a hero to me. He's retired now, but I think he still preaches because old preachers, they don't retire, they just go out to pastor. Good job. I knew you'd get there. I was waiting. I was waiting. But he said to me, he said, Michael, you've got to grow where you're planted. You've got to grow where you're planted. Now, I know you're sitting there going, I'm not sure I know what that means. Well, when you're young, and you're, especially when you're starting off in your ministry, you know, and this is like, man, I'm going I'm to turn the world upside down. And then you realize later, the world's going to turn you upside down, and God's going to put you back together. But but, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just, wherever, you know, and you kind of start thinking of ministry like a career, and, and you're like, things are trying to get you somewhere, and you, get, you just start out a little selfish and a whole lot ignorant. And, and Doug was saying, grow your plant. He's saying, you got to be where God puts you. you got to be there. Because a lot of times what we're doing is we're so future-oriented or we're so looking to, for the next thing that we're never where we truly are. We're never, we, we, we're not here. 
We learned that at McDonald's, too. That's one of the teachings. Be here now. One of the things they taught all the managers and staff. Be here now. That means be present in the moment you're in. Listen to what you're hearing. See what you're seeing. And so God is the Father. He's the gardener. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. The Father's the one who's the master gardener. The Father's the one who planted the vine. The Father's the one who put you in the vine. So be where you are. So when I talk about quietness, I'm talking about being somewhere. Being present in a moment. I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you can show up in a moment that God is inhabiting, you have just entered an eternal moment. Time has stopped. Heaven has opened. You've entered a new place. What an awesome thought. So quietness is about trusting the Father It's about being where you are. It's about staying where you are. It's about a place. But it's also about Jesus as the vine. Jesus is the everything of the Father. Jesus flows his truth and his love and his power into us. This is why you need Jesus. I know, I do think you need a church. I do think you need spiritual mentors and a family of faith and a community around you. But priority, you need Jesus first. He's your answer. He's the source. When we're anchored in him, everything flows through him. That's where we stay. That's why Jesus said, remain in me. Why is this important? You have an enemy. Daniel called. Daniel said in, I think it was chapter 8, speaking of the end. He said, a spirit of desolation will come upon the age. And brothers and sisters, we are living in a world that's under the influence and under the power of, therefore that is a spirit of desolation. We are watching men, women, and children today walk away from their faith because there is a spirit of desolation upon the world. And here's what's driving me crazy. Why would you leave Jesus just when you need him most? Like when everything's going, falling apart, when everything around you is disintegrating and being shaken and collapsing, as God said it would, why would you leave the only anchor that anchors through time, through space, into the very throne room of heaven, according to Hebrews? Why would you walk away from Jesus? And I know why. I know why. Because we're asking God for things and we don't see that we're getting those things. What does that tell you, though? Oh, I don't like this. I don't even want to say this, but here it comes. It tells us that we love God for what he will give us, not for who he is. You see, God is love. And he gives love because he is love. And what we must understand is that if we ever lay hold on God, we get everything God is. We get God is love. God is peace. God is holy. We get the whole enchilada if we just get God. Don't let 
Don't let a lying, destructive spirit steal your faith. Don't let a person who's mean, abusive, and I wanted to say something mean, but I backed out. Don't let a person, don't let anyone take your faith. Don't walk away from God, press in. Please? This is what quiet's about. Quiet's about running to the Father. It's about shutting down all the noise, and it's about connecting to the vine that is Jesus that you might have the life-giving strength of God flow into you. That's what quiet's about. And I'm telling you, all the noise in your life, all the distractions of our phones and our TVs and our radios and the noisy people in our life, all these distractions are robbing us of being with our Father and getting not just what the Father has, but who the Father is. If we get who the Father is, you get it all. And what happens no longer matters. Because who you are within becomes infinite in nature, becomes love in being, becomes power in its existence and in its enforcement. So, strong, strong roots into Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and jump to my last point. If I can find it, there I found it. And that is deep courage. Quiet connects us with what we truly delight. Quiet gives us a strong root. And quiet gives us a deep courage. John 4.23, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. I want to talk to you about quiet, and I wanted to get to these last few ideas. Because we need this for so many reasons. We need this, obviously, I've already overstated our desire for God. But I also, we also need this for a few additional reasons. One, and this is the one, I, I can't remember who I heard this from. It was a, a Bible teacher several years ago, but... They said this, we need to know things that we cannot know. As Christians, we need to know things that we cannot know. We we need that for life. We need to get through, we need to know stuff we cannot discover any other place than from our Father, than from God. And so when I talk about being quiet, I talk that of course means worship, it means prayer, it means stillness, it means waiting before God, it means all those things, and God will teach you even more what those mean if you'll step into those things. But when we, when we take these moments, it feeds a deep courage within us, and things become knowable to us that cannot be known any other way. I'm, I'm thankful for the Reformation, and I am thankful for the ages of enlightenment, and I'm thankful for all the rational and logical things that we glean from those, but there are some things I'm not thankful for. I'm not thankful for the fact that man has assumed that because he now knows something that for some reason now he knows everything. Mankind's like a perennial teenager. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is we think because we have some reason and we have a little bit of intellect and, and, and we don't have a lot of humility, we think we know some things. And it's led mankind as a whole to kind of assume that God doesn't really matter. 
They're either actual atheists or what I call practical atheists, which means they live like God isn't real. And that's one of the products of intellectualism and logic. But here's the thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages, talks about how there are things we don't know, like the things that the Lord has prepared for us. And we often use that text to talk about heaven and and how wonderful that God has stuff for us that blows our minds. But we never read verse 10. We always read verse 9, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard the things the Lord's prepared for them that love him. And then we stop there and go, heaven's wonderful. But then verse 10, we stop. We never read verse 10, and we need verse 10. You need this verse. Because it says, it was to us that God revealed these things. God revealed things that you can't see, things that you haven't heard, things that you can't even imagine. God has revealed them to us. But how? How did he reveal them to us? Through our intellect, through what we can see and sense with our senses. No, he didn't reveal them that way. He revealed them through his spirit. For the spirit searches out everything and shows us. The spirit searches out everything and shows us, shows you Put your name there. Shows Michael. It shows us God's deep secrets. God isn't hiding stuff from you. God is hiding stuff for you. He has wonderful discoveries for you. There are things that you don't know in life. I have no idea what the future holds for Michael. I could be looking at my worst challenge very shortly. I take great comfort in the fact that whatever that challenge is, God's already in that moment waiting for me to get there. I take great comfort in that. I don't even need to know the details. I'm not asking God to give me. I don't, I don't need anything else to worry about. Believe me, I've got the anxiety thing covered times 10. Ask anyone to spend any time working with me on anything. I, I, gotta, I look for things to go wrong, and then I make them go wrong so I can fix them. I mean, I'm crazy. I'm not worried about the details. I'm worried about the man that's going to arrive at those moments. That's what I want to know about. I want to be a guy who can handle the things that God hands me. The next person that says to me that God won't give you any more than you can handle, I'm going to pull their ears. I am. They're going to have cauliflower ears when I'm done. God will, God will definitely, most definitely, he will definitely give you more than you can handle. Why? Because you are not supposed to handle stuff by yourself. He will never give you more than he can handle. And that's pretty much anything right there, anything, okay? And don't let that scare you. Oh, yeah, it's scary. It's scary looking over a precipice into a problem. It is scary. But God's got you. He knew it was coming. The day you were born, God knew that moment was was on your calendar. And he's waiting for you there. God will reveal these things. So there are things we we need to know that we cannot know. There are things we need energy. Man, we're drained. The world drains you. So when I work for McDonald's, uh, I I enjoy flipping burgers. Uh, Managing people, not so much, but flipping burgers was great. I would get up every day and I would have a prayer time and I'd say, God, just let me change the atmosphere of that place. Because I had a lot of employees who were, they didn't want to be there, they didn't love their jobs. And I, under, I understand that. I mean, the, the most soul-crushing thing in the world is to do something over and over repeatedly and not have a purpose for doing it. I mean, 
how many of you have worked those kinds of jobs where it paid the bills, but it was soul crushing? Life is like this. Life will drain you. It sucks the life out of you. It's like a vampire draining the blood out of your veins. You're like, I didn't need that image on a Sunday. <clears throat> the world drains us. Fear drains us. Fear overwhelms us. Fear steals our courage. And we lose battles. I know, you're like, oh, Michael, we are more than conquerors. Yes, we are. We are more than overcomers. We will win the war. The war is won. But the battles, you're going to lose a few. You're going to take some gut punches. You are going to get surprised. You are going to get knocked down and dragged through the mud. It's going to happen. I'm telling you this so your faith can stand. Instead of standing there whining, going, well, if God loved me, he wouldn't let this happen to me. I'm telling you, God does love you. But there are a lot of people in this world making decisions. Someone else has the keys to this kingdom. And so we need this quiet place because we need, we need to be filled up. It's the only place I know to get fuel for life is in the throne room of the Father. That's the only place I know. There are things that give me fuel. But that's the best, most purest source. So we need quiet because we need charged up. We need quiet because we need to enjoy our Father. We just need to learn to enjoy our Father, to delight in God. There's that Psalm, Psalm 27. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And we're like, oh man, if I like God, then God will give me free stuff. That's not what it means. It means if you delight in the Lord, then the Lord has become the desire of your heart. And you will receive the desire of your heart. Because you are delighting in the Lord. And then you get everything the Father is. Everything the Father is. And when you get everything the Father is, there's coming a day when you get everything the Father has. That's kind of good. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has entered in the hearts of man the thing that the Lord has prepared for them that love him, but God has revealed them to him by his spirit. Where do you think he reveals that stuff? While you got your head in your, in your face, the gram twit, whatever that thing is? <laughs> Driving down the road, listening to Mac Jagger, not getting any satisfaction. You, you think that's where the Father's revealing his deep secrets when you're so distracted you can barely drive a car? Oh, act like you haven't done that, please. <laughs> or do you think it's when you pursue quiet? You rein in your brain. And you start to focus on the Father. You know, God gave you an incredible imagination. And he gave it to you so you would enter into his presence. Not so that you would be distracted from it. And that's what focus is about. That's what quiet's about. It's about quieting that place. And so this is, this is what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to quiet. To find a rhythm in your life. A rhythm. Not a rule. A rule will not work. I'm telling you, rule and duty do not work for things of grace and love. Find a rhythm of your life that you can be quiet. 
a morning, an evening, a lunch, an appointment with Papa, and the purpose of that rhythm is to receive the delight and desire of your soul. And then you will understand that Mick Jagger was an idiot. And that satisfaction's always been available if only you will go to the one who is infinite. Let's pray. Father, we need quiet. I need quiet. We need a stillness that comes upon us that allows us to connect with our Father, that allows us to receive who You are, not just what You have to offer. And so, Lord, here we are in this room. Some may be struggling with their faith. Some may be struggling with the beginnings of a faith, whether or not they have one or not. Some struggling with the ups and downs, the valleys and peaks, if you will, of faith. Lord, a faith that we don't struggle with is a faith that we don't deal with. Is probably true. So I ask today that you would help us to understand what the first century Christians understood, what the early church fathers understood, that our chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever, and that we bring a rhythm into our life of quiet, of stillness, of hearing what Father has to say, receiving wonderful gifts and deep wisdom from the heart of our Father. I pray that you would teach us how to receive deep things from you. I pray that you would show every mind in this church right now, in this body right now, that this is something you have for them. This is for them. And I pray that you would help us to enter into. Thank you for being such a good father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.